Hi, everyone. Welcome to the January 15th, 2021 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Tonight kicks off the 29th season of Colorado Inside Out. Thank you so much for making these 29 years possible. I, I really can't believe that we are almost into our 30s here on Colorado Inside Out. It's a little crazy. And speaking of crazy, let's talk about this week. Colorado's congressional representatives remained in the spotlight in Washington, D.C. this week with representatives DeGette and Goose continuing significant roles within the impeachment team. Meanwhile, the hashtag ResignBobert was trending nationally on Twitter after Representative Lauren Bobert clashed with House security and refuted rumors that she helped, helped incite Capitol Hill riots. Patty Calhoun from Westbury, go to you first. Uh, we started last week talking about U.S. representatives from Colorado and D.C., and they upped the ante. It wasn't just talking about uh, the election results. Now we had a full impeachment in the House and Lauren Boebert really dominating a news cycle. Uh, what stands out to you? Well, mostly what stands out is 29 years ago when we started this show, Donald Trump was still a stubby-fingered developer who couldn't get deals going in Denver where he tried Union Station and the 1770 Sherman Building. We should have let him have those deals, and maybe he wouldn't have gone to D.C. I can't wait for the next week's show because the next, what we find out over the next week is heart-stopping what could happen. We saw just the results from the January 6th events that Joe Neguse, definitely Jason Crow covered themselves, Jason Crow especially, in honor, compared to, say, Lauren Boebert, who was already doing the tweeting video so that she could raise funds because she could carry her block, Glock in the Capitol. Then she had the didn't want to show security the gun uh, or didn't want to show what was in her purse. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was a very full makeup bag that she didn't want to display to the world. And now the pointing the finger at different representatives who she thinks outed her as giving a tour before the 6th. It's, imp it's incredible that she's the one who is getting all the headlines. And I can tell you by the traffic we've seen on our site, people are fascinated and horrified by what she said. Whereas you see people like Neguse and DeGette and Crow really doing a good job. And even Ken Buck pulling back and behaving like, oh, a statesman. Uh, that's a great point. Uh, David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School, Representative Ken Buck, who is no wallflower himself, also came out to say to actually recommend a Representative Boebert to tone it down. But it also feels Representative Boebert is reading the same Art of the Deal book that uh, a couple politicians before her have already mastered, whether it's President Trump, uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez, or now her, where attention, be it for negative or positive reasons, is always good. I could be being cynical. It's happened before. What do you think? Well, uh, I don't think she's reading Art of the Deal because that is uh, that ghostwritten book is, after all, about success in making deals, which is bringing two sides together. And as she said, she she was running. She wanted to be a right wing version of Ocasio Cortez and, and the rest of those performance artist extremist. Uh, people who have very weak connection with the truth but get a lot of attention in, in the press. And she's, uh, she's carrying out that plan uh, quite successfully. I, I think the notion that she was some kind of co-conspirator in advance uh, with the rioters is uh, conspiracy kookery uh, equal to the kookery of her claiming that the entire uh, presidential election was stolen. Uh, to her credit, when she was speaking on the floor about the uh, uh, certification of the or acceptance of the uh, counting of the Arizona electoral votes, she actually only said things that were true, which is that in 
Uh, a few weeks before the election, a Obama-appointed federal district judge abused his discretion and extended the registration deadline. The Ninth Circuit quickly said, no, you can't do that. That's an abuse of discretion. But in the interim, 30,000 new people had registered to vote. And by two to one, the Ninth Circuit said, well, those people can still vote uh, on Election Day. 30,000 new voters. Uh, Biden won Arizona by only 10,000. So it's at least, at least mathematically possible that that abuse of discretion changed the result in that one state. Uh, but the remedy, as Senator Tom Cotton pointed out, is lies exclusively in the Arizona legislature. The Constitution gives the state legislatures the authority uh, over who who the electors will be. And to her credit, she didn't repeat any of the ridiculous uh, fraud claims that the Trump litigation had made about Arizona afterwards. Unfortunately, she also voted against the certification of Pennsylvania electors, where all the claims about whatever went wrong in Pennsylvania, as the courts have said, don't even come close uh, to affecting uh, Biden's 80,000 vote uh, margin in that state. We go to Natasha Gardner, freelance journalist. Uh, Natasha, uh, it's not as if uh, influence on a big momentous time like an impeachment trial means that Colorado will have influence moving forward. But seeing representatives to get into goose uh, directly involved, it seems like it's something. I don't know exactly what it is, but it seems like something. What do you think? Well, absolutely. I think it both says a national leader's um, leadership that's looking to them for leadership and also that they're stepping up and asking for those leadership opportunities. I think um, we're going to hear more of them in the, the coming years as they take uh, stronger roles in, in Washington, D.C. I mean, locally, uh, for Representative Lowen Boebert's uh, reactions, I, I, Alec, Alec Baldwin had an incredibly famous uh, movie scene, Always Be Closing. She seems to be thinking of always be campaigning, though. Uh, the caution that I would have there is that, yes, well, that does garner headlines and attention. She still needs to focus on, on CD3. And it'll be very interesting to see what she does um, to perhaps uh, make a, a claim in Washington that's a little different than the tone that she has currently set. Um, because there are other issues that Coloradans care about. Of course, the coronavirus um, pandemic, but uh, water issues, uh, agricultural issues, small business issues. All of those things are things that she needs to turn her attention to. And I just must also say kudos to the reporters who are following the events that happened on the 6th and continuing to report on them. This is not a story that we know the end of um, on that day at the close of business. This is a story that needs reporting for many years and many months, and there will be many books written about this as well. Well, Natasha, if you should always be closing, then uh, coffee is indeed for closers. And people should know that there is always coffee waiting for Miss Calhoun at the CIO table. Uh, Krista Kafer, columnist of the Denver Post, rounds out our panel. It's great to see you on the, on the show today, Krista. Um, what do you make of the, all the different roles we saw from the representatives from Colorado, whether it be Diana DeGette and Joe Neguse as part of the impeachment trial or Representative Buck and his advice to Representative Boebert? Uh, what did you take away? Well, I was happy to see that uh, that Congressman Ken Buck has has told Lauren Boebert, as well as you know, I think other people can take that advice to turn down turn down the volume of the rhetoric. We've got a, a conspiracy theory that's taken on a life of its own over the last two months. Self serving in the case of Trump's pushing that 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 conspiracy theory, but it's also pushed some people to do violent things. And so I, I, I think it's time to tone down the rhetoric, to take a step back. Um, you know, in two years, CD3 will decide whether or not 
they want an AOC or whether they want someone who's a statesman who gets things done. So I think that uh, Representative Boebert definitely needs to pivot away from sort of attention getting and, and uh, you know, pack and heat uh, both uh, verbally and physically and start thinking in terms about her district and being a statesman, the kind of statesman that, that we certainly deserve as a state. The Colorado legislative session kicked off this week with the swearing-in of its newest members, as well as the passing of about seven minor bills. With those items checked off the list, the session is adjourned until February. Did we go to you to start this one. Is gaveling in and out this week and then adjourning to February a good idea? Um, it, it might be, although they're violating the... Uh, uh, Thanks to a 4-3 Supreme Court ruling, they can uh, do that all the time without uh, running up against the constitutional limit of a uh, legislative session of a 120 calendar days. Um, the op- disasters are often opportunities for power grabs, and this week the Democratic leadership made the most of that. They created a new rule, uh, House uh, House and Senate Joint Rule 44, which gives the leadership an amazing amount of unilateral power. As long as there is a declared disaster emergency, which is going to be for the entire legislative session, then they can suspend any of the House rules, Senate rules, or the joint rules. They can eliminate any or all of the normal committees, like education, judiciary, finance, and replace them with ad hoc committees they they create themselves. And Rule 44 gives the executive committee, which is to say a committee run by the uh, major Democratic leadership, the power to prevent legislators from even introducing bills. And now supposedly this is to help the legislature be able to focus on response to the disaster emergency and and, uh, keep its eye on the ball. But watch how it plays out. Bills to to, uh, refine or uh, improve uh, the extreme, almost unlimited emergency powers that the legislature granted the governor back in 2010 with the very badly written... uh, Emergency Disaster Act, some reforms of that. No, those will be, oh, no, we, we can't uh, do any, spend any time on doing that. How about gun control bills to say, uh, to crack down on people who have already passed a background check and put more restrictions on them and thereby satisfy the Bloomberg lobby? That will be considered essential legislative business that will be greased through the system. Natasha, when we come to you, when you look at the legislature this year, uh, when it does come back into uh, session in February, what do you think uh, will be or should be its biggest priorities? COVID, of course. I mean, that's going to be the the word that is perhaps most overused in, in the state uh, capital this session, and with good reason. You know, I think that this this week gave us a test or sort of a taste of what might be to come. Um, certainly, this was not business as usual. Anyone who has been there on opening day knows that that spirit, that sort of uh, just vigor was not uh, part of the normal uh, business day. And and frankly, the business wasn't normal either. The, the election of the Speaker of the House was was different than normal. There was some extended debates in the early hours, and then it was actually moving very, very, very quickly. Um, and I think anyone who has spent days at this Capitol knows those moments, too, where you're just kind of like, is anything going to get finished today? That was the exact opposite this week. They got a lot of business accomplished within a few days. The question is, as they come back, um, when they, they come back together again, will they take sort of those early hours as inspiration or the later hours as inspiration? And 
how are they going to get their heads and the budget around this deep crisis that we're going to be filling in our state? This is something that they have a little bit of time to, to think about. I'm sure they're not the only industry that wish they could have pressed pause on the year and come back a few weeks later. Krista, do you think we saw anything in these first, you know, madcap hours of the session that then gaveled out to the middle of February? Do we see anything that will tell us what's to come later this spring? Well, it just shows that they can cooperate when they need to. They were pretty much unanimously passed bills. And so when they when they want to get in and out, they can do just that. I think they're going to be a little bit surprised, though, when they go to, uh, to I know they, they decided to allow remote themselves to get together remotely to to do the business of the people. And I think you might be a little bit surprised when people are not in the same room together. My experience is, is that via Zoom or Skype, people tend to be more cantankerous, more edgy, and more partisan. So we'll see how that goes. I also share Dave's concern about Rule 44 and a potential abuse of that in the future. Obviously, in this day and age, everything is sort of a disaster, COVID being a real disaster. But it, all it takes is a couple of fires and uh, maybe a drought to say, oh, oh, we're having a disaster. Let's go ahead and suspend these rules. So we'll see how this plays out. If they're going to do something emergency, I, I wish they would put a time limit on it, because if it's something that is allowed to go on indefinitely, I think there could be some unintended consequences. Petty, usually in a non-election year, the legislative session will be filled of a lot of back and forth and a lot of other issues that are probably harder to pass in an election year. But this one's unique because of the situation we have with COVID. When you look at this first couple days and then the spring session to come, what are some of the issues that you think we'll see? I don't think you can really take the first three days as indicative of what's coming. First of all, we're going to know a lot more about what Biden is doing, what Washington is doing, whether Washington is still there when they return in a month. It's not that the COVID situation is going to be much better because, as we'll talk about, vaccine is not going to go as fast as people thought. But there will be more realities they'll be able to deal with, which will inform their discussions a lot better. I don't think we really have an indication of what will be the hot topics except for COVID and, of course, figuring out how to balance the budget. Well, Governor Polis has added people from 65 to 69 to the list of those qualified to receive the early rollout of the COVID vaccine. While the rollout may remain slow, Polis says things will speed up once more health facilities are properly equipped to give vaccinations. Meanwhile, the mayors of Denver and Aurora joined a letter requesting the upcoming Biden administration for greater access and control to vaccines. And uh, extra update that we just had before we started taping here at noon on Friday is Governor Polis tweeted out that the feds as federal officials lied about there actually being a reserve of vaccines available. So the over 210,000 or so vaccines we thought were coming to Colorado is actually close to 79,000 vaccine doses. So that's just a Friday update. Natasha, we start with you on this one. Uh, There's an awful lot of uh, uh, confusion going on with the vaccine rollout. Adding people from 65 and up now sounds like a great thing, as long as you can get them a vaccine. Do you think Colorado's going to be able to make it happen? Well, I think if I were to make a prediction right now, it's that in the coming days, we're only going to have more confusion about the vaccine rollout. As you pointed out, the breaking news on Friday is that the Federal Reserve of the vaccines is is not as, as big or even um, anywhere close to what we had hoped it would be. At the same time, Joe Biden is supposed to release his remarks today about what vaccine rollout would look like. Obviously, mayors and governors 
here in Colorado, here in Denver, but also across the country are trying to make their own plans. But at the end of the day, this is a very muddy picture. I think what might most need to happen is a reset. Clear communication we know in any sort of crisis situation is extremely important to have public trust in the system. That's what needs to happen here. And we need that coming both on a federal level, but on a level that can come down to the individual person, because it's still very hard for our citizens who might qualify for the vaccine right now to navigate the systems to get it. So we need a reset in many ways to make this vaccine rollout work. Krista, what did you think about the letter going from mayors? And it's not, uh, it's about 30 mayors thinking across the country where Aurora and Denver joined that letter, where distribution within cities and not just states would happen. Is that a good idea? You know, I think it's a great idea. And all they have to do is do a little bit better than the state, which won't be hard. I think, I, I know I've been disappointed in the governor's office in uh, kind of politicizing that process. Initially, it was to we were to help essential workers, or not essential workers, but essential medical workers, then people who live in high-density situations like people in jail and prison, and then uh, the elderly and people who are vulnerable medically, and then, and then on to other people. And then, of course, that got changed because it got political and, and prisoners got scratched off the list, even though they're highly vulnerable. And then we get a new plan, and then I wouldn't be surprised if we got yet a new plan. How about something consistent? And also using the resources of the mayor's offices. These, these mayor's offices have great connections to the community. They can get that, that, that vaccine out. One of the things that's in that letter is about having a, a little bit of extra funding to be able to reach out to those who are vaccine hesitant. Maybe they they're uh, a little bit nervous, a little bit afraid. As we know, conspiracy theories that are put forth by anti-vaxxers and others, uh, they have a powerful sway over people, and we need to get as many people vaccinated as possible. So by all means, I have, uh, I have a lot of faith in Mayor Kaufman and Mayor Hancock. Uh, let's get them in on this process. Patty, what do you think about vaccine distribution? We have states as an option. We have cities as an option. There's healthcare companies. Honestly, if they ask me, I want the people who ever came up with the efficiency of the Chick-fil-A drive-through to handle because if they were handling, I think we'd all be vaccinated by next Tuesday. But I'm not in charge. What do you think is going to happen? Well, let's not have the In-N-Out Burger people do it. <laughs> I was on the Tri-County Health Department town hall call last week, and one of the challenges you see is for the people over 70, I was listening for my mom, many of those people aren't online. And if you are not online, you have almost no access to information. And even if you are online, it's still very confusing. If you go on the state site, you don't exactly know how you're going to sign up. Part of the problem, of course, is we don't know how much vaccine is coming in. So being able to distribute through counties, through the cities and with mass vaccination sites, as opposed to going through health areas, I mean, health companies that you might not have access to, or you might not know how to sign on to their system, makes a lot of sense. But we have a, lot, we have a really long, tangled road ahead on this. David, what's the best answer here? I mean, there's a couple different ways the governments can do it. I don't know if anyone's come up with a good solution, but I could be wrong. Well, well, that's why top-down central planning often doesn't work, because the best solution in one place may be different in another place. New York, Cuomo, centralized and said, oh, it's, it's going to – the counties have been planning to distribute it. We're going to take that away. It's going to be all done by the state, and it's only going to be in hospitals and the uh, uh, yet another deadly uh, disaster of, the, of Cuomo. So moving towards having Denver or local communities do, do more is, is great. Um, the ultimate problem is the supply. You can only manufacture vaccines so fast. Uh, 
and we're better off than if this had happened in the 1970s when the swine flu and things were going on and the vaccine supply was the choke point was how many chicken eggs can we get because you needed the eggs to make the vaccines we huge improvements in manufacturing now with this these novel vaccines but there's there's always going to be the we'll never get rid of the supply problem Let's get a quick take on this last one. The Trump administration announced this week that the U.S. Space Command will be leaving Colorado as quickly as it arrived. President Trump has ordered the Space Command to move from Colorado Springs to Huntsville, Alabama, in a move Governor Polis has called politically motivated. Chris, we start with you on this quick take. Uh, I don't know if it's a fait accompli. What do you think? Well, it definitely strikes me as payback, and I think that the president is in retribution mode. I'm sorry that it it won't end up here as the uh, Air Force has recommended that. But my number one push is to get rid of that name, Guardians. I, every time I hear it, I think of Guardians of the Galaxy, and honestly, that's got to go. The last thing we need in 2021 is a raccoon in charge of a button and controlling space. I, I agree with you on that one. Patty, uh, your quick take on Space Command moving? Well, in five years is what they're saying now from Peterson Air Force Base, where it's been temporarily. So I think we could still see some movement to keep it here. But if we lose it, do we also lose Santa tracking from NORAD? <laughs> That's a good question. David, is this done? Can it, 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 is there a history behind a move done with so little time left in administration staying permanent of this kind of magnitude? Oh, well, tons of things. But uh, this is something the Biden administration can quickly reverse if, if they choose to. The final decision isn't until 2023. And the best reason to keep Space Command where it is is because it's here now. And any move is going to necessarily be disruptive, leave things offline, at least for a while, and that would create instability and vulnerability to a foreign attack. Natasha, wrap it up for us. When you talk about see Space Command maybe moving pretty far down south, do you think there might be something to stop the move? Well, I think part of the reason Coloradans were so excited about Space Command is that in the past, we have a long history um, with military, of course, and that has led to a lot of good things happening in our private um, sector as well. And so I hope the innovation that might have come out of having Space Command here could still continue in Colorado's economy because it um, certainly has a lot of possibilities for the future. Well, it's time for our very favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. Well, we've had a lot of discussion here about free speech, and it's going to continue. But there is no question that civil discourse has become a lot less civil lately. We saw, and again, uh, to the media, we've all encountered it. We saw murder the media uh, in Washington, D.C. We see the comments on our page every day about people threatening each other, which makes it a lot harder to figure out what the real threats are. But I would argue a man who leaves Colorado pulling explosives and glocks and everything else to D.C. with the idea that he's going to shoot Nancy Reagan in the noggin. Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi, sorry, in the in the noggin, but then neglects to deal with his taillights. Those are the kinds of uh, gang who can't shoot straight terrorists we want to see. David. When Donald Trump was trying to pre- pressure Vice President Pence into unilaterally rejecting the electoral votes transmitted by the states, Trump told Pence that he could be a patriot or a patsy, except he actually used a different word instead of patsy. Michael Pence chose to be a patriot and obeyed the Constitution. And also choosing to be a patriot was Liz Cheney, who put Constitution and country ahead of her political interest. Whether or not she win, loses a primary in, 22 in 2022 in Wyoming, she will always be a profile in courage. Natasha, we go to you for your disgrace of the week. 
I think like many parents, I looked at the 2020 election as an opportunity to teach my child about how elections work in our country. And at nearly every stage of, of the election and the campaign, I had to add caveats that this wasn't normal, this wasn't the way it goes, adding an asterisk to almost everything. I'm starting to worry that the real disgrace is that it is normal. Krista, your disgrace of the week. I'm going to give it to nasty people on both sides, partisans who think it's okay to tweet nasty things to people. In about a 24-hour period, I got a death threat from a Trump supporter, and I also got a bunch of nasty things from the left, including a desire to have me canceled. So I tell you what, guys, hobbies, get a hobby. Nothing with sharp needles, so maybe crochet, but get a hobby. Stop using, a, stop, stop harassing people as your way of enjoying life. Here, here, Chris. We need an expansion of pickleball courts for the rest of America. Time to say something nice about somebody, Patty. Yeah, and they should keep their taillights out and maybe unplug their computers. Uh, something nice, MLK Day, 35 years ago, Colorado, Denver had the first maraid. We won't have a maraid this year physically, but there are a lot of online events to remind us of just how far this country had come at that point and why MLK is someone to remember. David. Well, and my late father for his legislative maneuvers, which helped uh, led to passing the MLK holiday. Uh, but also to the photographer who snapped that famous picture at Donald Trump's third wedding with Donald and Ivanka yakking it up, yucking it up with Hillary and Bill Clinton. Who knew that a single photo would capture three quarters of all presidential impeachments in American history? If only they had a painting of Andrew Johnson behind it. It would have been the <laughs> superfecta right there. Let's go to Natasha for your say something nice. Well, as I was doom scrolling through Twitter, like so many people in the last week, um, imagine my surprise to come across something really nice and wonderful and uplifting. Uh, Representative Nagoose was passing out donuts and coffee to National Guard um, members in D.C., and it was just, it was nice to see something kind. Chris, did we go to you for your say something nice? I'm going to give it to the, the 10, governor, or 10 GOP Republicans that, that joined Democrats in the impeachment. I know it's going to make life very, very hard for them over the next two years, and I appreciate their courage. The fact is, is that if you want to be a blogger or a pundit and put out conspiracy theories, hey, that's all you're right. If you want to do that as the president, there's going to be a consequence for that. And so I appreciate what they did, and I think they deserve, uh, deserve accolades. I want to add a few something nices. First of all, I want to thank uh, John Digby with Digby Trucking, a supporter of this program and PBS 12. Uh, it's a good reminder that you know, all the different supply things we talk about, there are truckers throughout our nation making sure we're getting the things we need. So I appreciate his support and all the things that his company is doing for this country. Also, uh, as we celebrate 29 years of Colorado Inside Out, Betty White was a sprite 70 years old when we came on the scene. She will turn 99 on Sunday. And all the years we talk about different things happening that what's wrong in America, we still have Betty White. So 2021 really can't be that bad. For everybody here at PBS 12, I'm Dominic Tizzuti. Thank you so much for watching. Good night.